And so today we have the privilege of hearing from Matt Oldrich. Matt is a professional licensed counselor here in town. And if you have talked to me in the last 18 months uh, about counseling or wanting it or knowing someone that could benefit from it, he's probably the guy that I have referred um, you to. He is an amazing man. Um, He's my counselor. In fact, I was just talking to him about how we need to get together soon. Um, I have a sabbatical coming up, and I'm like, dude, I'm going to need some counseling probably. Me and my wife, I need some individually. Um, he was there for me when I hit rock bottom in 2019 with my own just mental health battles. Um, God used him greatly in just my healing and just my journey of recovery. And so, honestly, like there's probably a good chance I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for him. So, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I'm done. So, let's give a warm welcome to Matt Oldridge. Check, check, check. There we go. Good morning, friends. Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And from my family to yours, it's good to be here. Uh, I guess the first uh, part of the business is for me to introduce myself and my family. I was given that task. I think there may be a picture that's going to show up there. My wife and I, Sherry, have been married for 29 years. And we've been in St. Joe for about four and a half years now. And we have three children. Our oldest daughter is married to Dryden. They live in Clearwater, Florida. And she uh, works for Raytheon and does things that she can't tell me about. All I know is she's helping keep us safe. And then my son graduated from Pepperdine, and uh, he works down in Clearwater, Florida as a base uh, with Raymond James. And he is uh, living with us. And because he can work remotely. And so last March 12th, 11th, 14th, whatever that day was, uh, he got on a plane and came up here and he's been here ever since. And then our youngest daughter, Bailey, is a sophomore at the University of Arkansas. And she's an undergraduate and studying to be a speech pathologist. And uh, that's my family. Sherry is also a licensed professional counselor. My wife, we are uh, both LPCs, licensed in Arizona, Kansas, and Missouri. And uh, she has uh, degrees in uh, elementary ed and early childhood development as her undergrad. And I, we went to seminary. She got her Master of Arts in Counseling, and I got my MDiv and MAC back in 2003. And then got a, I got a doctorate of ministry in 2014. So that's a little bit about us. She works at Shawnee Mission and also has a private uh, Advent Health and has a private practice in town. And I work for St. Luke's and have a private practice in town as well. So that's a little bit about the family real quick. Um, also, just if we're going to keep with the welcomes, uh, can I just say what a privilege uh, you all have with your pastoral staff team, your ministry staff team, your leadership team, and their pursuit of God with great humility and great vigor, and you're a privileged folk. And I love that you're here in town. Keep up the good work by the grace of Jesus. Just want to say that out loud to everybody. Uh, let me pray, 
and then uh, we'll jump into God's word. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that uh, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things, they come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. So we give to you all of our worries, we give to you those distractions, and ask that you would meet us here. This is a spiritual work, and so Holy Spirit, do what you would want to do in our own hearts and in the body life of this church. And we'll right now say thank you for your work of grace. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, um, soul care, taking a look inside, if I were to give you a title to this sermon, this message, it's the story within the story. And so if you could think of uh, God's stories having four chapters, four movements, or four parts. And the first part is creation. And God is a creator God, and he created the universe and all that's in it. And then you have this fall, the fall from grace. I actually don't like that term because it seems kind of passive. And so it's creation and the fall, or I'm going to call it the rebellion. Because Adam and Eve rebelled against God's law and, and his standard. And then we go from creation and rebellion to redemption. We get up to Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. And then the last chapter is a glorification or recreation. All the created order will be recreated without sin and its effects. And if I were to say to you, where are we now? Well, we're between redemption and recreation. We're between redemption and glorification. It's called the already but not yet. The kingdom of God has already come, but it's not yet fully realized as it will be when Christ cracks the sky and comes back. Amen? And so I want you to think in terms of story, creation, rebellion, redemption, and recreation or glorification. The first time Christ came, he was meek as a child, as a babe. And he came as the uh, suffering servant. He came as the redeemer. When he comes back, he will not, not be coming back in meekness, but in might. And he will be the conquering king. And if I could just remind you, out of Revelation 19, this is what it says of him. And we need to keep these kinds of things in mind when we're going through the present life. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And he and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's that last chapter, recreation, glorification. And we're, we're in between redemption and that in the storyline. And so, 
there's a meta-narrative, and that's the meta-narrative of God's story. And when you sit with somebody in soul care, when you sit with somebody to pray with them and, and to hear their story, there's always three, at least three narratives at, in that room or in that space. There's my story, and there's their story, and then we have God's story of these four chapters, these four movements. And so those are the, the storyline and the meta-narrative of which our story and the story of the person that you're talking to fits within that greater story. Today we find ourselves in Hosea chapter 2. I love Hosea. It's a raw book. It's organic. The people of God are in Israel before the Babylon captivity. It's about 700 years, roughly, before Christ. And some think he had the longest-lasting prophetic ministry of all the prophets. And he prophesied during the reign of five different kings. In Hosea 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, those four. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of the king of Israel. So there are your five different kings. The setting or the storyline is this. It's absolute sheer idolatry. They are sinning and rebelling against God. The people were chasing after these different gods. In essence, they were playing the harlot. And we see God's response to them as they chase after these lovers. And they're worshiping these different idols and these gods. And we catch ourselves then in chapter 2, verse 14. This is God's word. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at that time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from the mouth, from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by her name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Amen. Here ends the scripture reading. If you like to keep notes, uh, it's a very easy four-point outline. God's pursuit, God's care, God's intimacy, and God's covenantal reign and faithfulness. In God's pursuit, we see in verse 14, I will allure her. To allure means to persuade or seduce or entice. And what is he going to do? He's going to bring her out into the wilderness. And of course, that reminds us of the first time 
that he brought them from the land of Egypt out into the wilderness. They left their slavery physical. They left their slavery, slavery spiritual slavery. And he was bringing them out into the wilderness to speak to them tenderly. And to speak to someone tenderly is to declare or to talk, to sing, or to whisper. I have both fond and terrifying memories. And men, you're going to relate to this. Fond and terrifying memories of going up to this cute, beautiful young lady of which she is in this crowd with butterflies in my stomach and heart racing, and I'm going to ask her to step away from her cult-like following. You know that friendship group, the Velcro group? And they're all together, and you're going to say, I need to speak with you. You see, I like you, and I want to ask you to do a dance. Remember that feeling, men? And out of all the girls in the class, out of all the girls in the high school or the junior high, this is the one that you're going to ask to come out and you're going to speak to her and ask her the privilege of taking her to the dance. And this is what God is doing. It's his intent to let her know, Israel, that he loves them and that they are playing the harlot and going after other gods. And so he's going to woo and entice and allure her. God sees how distracted they were and how willfully they were chasing after other gods. Is that infuriating? Absolutely. Does God respond with fury and anger in this moment? No, he does not. He loves them. And he whispers to Israel. In the message, it says this. This is verses 14 and 15 from the message, a different translation. And now... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start all over again. I'm taking her back out into the wilderness where we had our first date, and I'll court her. I'll give her bouquets of roses. I'll turn Heartbreak Valley into Acres of Hope. She'll respond like she did as a young girl in those days when she was fresh out of Egypt. You see, God pursues us. He pursued them through loving kindness, and he still pursues us through kindness. Christ took on the fury and the wrath of God at the cross. It was all poured out on him at the cross. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. Does he discipline you and me for those of us that are in Christ? Absolutely. Does he do it out of rage and anger? Not at all. He does that out of love and kindness and mercy and grace. Second, we see God's care in verse 15. And he says, there I will give her her vineyards, and I'll make the valley of Achor a, a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at that time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Achor is the valley of trouble. And actually, that word akor means to stir up or to disturb, to agitate, to trouble. And that is where they find themselves agitated and in trouble. They've been chasing after all the different gods. 
and not Yahweh. And so God takes them out there to the valley of Achor. And by the way, it's also, this is the valley where the sin of Achan, where he's stoned. It's, it's, it's a place of trouble. And yet, in this place of trouble, he says, uh, it will be a door of hope. And so the very place that you find your friend that you're sitting with, or the very place that you find yourself in your trouble and in your despair and in your agitation, it's the very place where the doorway of hope is. In God's economy, your suffering, your pain, whether it be emotional or financial or addiction, whatever it may be, it's the door of hope in God's economy. And in America, we hate discomfort and pain and suffering. We spend billions of dollars on pain meds a year. We pay billions of dollars on liquor just to not feel. We go to pornography. We go to uh, adrenaline-pumping activities like racing our motorcycles fast or jumping out of airplanes or, or whatever it may be just so I can either feel alive or get numb. And the human heart likes to fill or numb. So in our current situation, the circumstances we find us, Jesus is inviting you. What is he inviting you into? He's inviting you to leave your idols behind, your false beliefs, your lies that you're buying into about yourself and about God, about your spouse, about your boss, to leave those behind. He's inviting you to leave your damnable good works behind. As though apart from Christ, you have something to offer to God that's not stained by sin. That's the deception. And he's begging you to leave your life strategies and the self-help movement. And the self-help movement, friends, is all over the place. To leave those strategies and those defense mechanisms behind. And he's asking you to turn to him yet again in faith and repentance. And to trust the gospel. The truth. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died, was buried. On the third day he rose again according to the scriptures that we might have eternal life. That's why Five-year-olds can believe this. That's why 95-year-olds believe this. And that's why week after week, your pastors preach the same message. Because we need to hear it over and over and over again. Because it's that which is done for you that you can't do on your own. Christ paid it all. Got to keep going. The third point is this. God's intimacy, verses 16 and 17, listen to his intimate uh, pursuit. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. Think about that. Not adulterer, not philanderer, not stupid sinner, not covenant breaker, liar, deceiver. No, you'll be called my husband. And we all know that the marriage relationship is the most intimate relationship you can experience as a human being, human to human, in all of creation, in all of the world. And that intimacy is what God is bringing them into. 
verse 17, for I will remove the names of the Baals from our mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. All those boyfriends and girlfriends you had in high school and junior high, maybe in college, when you're in your 35th year of marriage, you don't remember them. You have your spouse. He or she is the one who's your delight. Number four, God's covenantal reign and fidelity. God's covenantal reign and faithfulness. Listen to the I wills. Verse 18, and I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. I will make you lay down in safety. What else will he do? Verse 19, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. I will, I will, I will, I will. That's God's promise to you and to me through Christ. And you shall know the Lord. In your valley of pain and suffering, or in the, when you're with somebody else sitting in their pain and suffering, you know it's the doorway of hope. What is it the doorway of hope to? It's the doorway of the hope to know God. He wants to reveal himself in a new and a fresh way in this place where you're hurting. He will meet you in your darkest, despairing depths of pain and suffering, of loneliness. In your most wretched, sinful acts, Christ is there. God is faithful. He will do these things either on earth or absolutely for sure in heaven. That's the good news. So what's the so what? We're going to have a Q&A time, so I'm going to try to bring this to an end. But so what's the so what? If we're to get to application, several different things. There's a meta-narrative. The so what is I want you to remember those four categories. Creation, rebellion, redemption, and recreation or glorification. Because people are going to be in one of those places. They might be creating something new. They might be in absolute total sin. They might try to be, in, through Christ, be redeeming and repairing something beautiful. Or glorification is reminding people who they are in Christ when they will be glorified with the new bodies and a new heaven and a new earth. That's the recreation that we read about in Isaiah 58 and 59. Secondly, our story... My narrative and my story gets in the way of me being with the person I'm sitting with. And so I want you to know, everybody, when you sit with somebody and you start to hear their story, you're going to get triggered. You're going to get activated. Your story is going to show up. But because of love, the love of Christ, I'm here to love you. Whenever my story shows up, I, I acknowledge that to myself and I set it aside. Whatever part of my story it is, I'm just going to set it aside. Why? So I can be with you. I want to be present with you. Christ is present with us incarnationally through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And so for us, when we sit with people and want to love them and support them, just acknowledge my story is showing up. I acknowledge that to myself. I'm going to set it aside so I can be with you. Because my time's with you, that's how I'm going to shepherd your soul and take care of your heart, is to hear your story. So I just want you to know, 
your story's going to show up. It's okay. Just set it aside. Just set it over there on the shelf, on that little coffee table, and then keep listening. Because that's how you be present with people. And then what will you do? When they get done telling their story, and after you've asked all the clarifying questions, and you're sitting with somebody, you whisper to them. Remember, they're agitated. They're in, tr- in the valley of Achor. They're in trouble. And you whisper to them, gospel good news. They are loved by Christ. There is hope in Christ. There is healing in Christ. And you whisper to them words of truth. And you, you are Christ to them in that moment through the power of the Holy Spirit, offering them the words of truth, pointing them to the cross, pointing them to the gospel of grace. That's the most loving thing you can do in that moment. You can't fix them, but you can lead them to and invite them to the God who sees them and knows them. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, and then we're going to have a Q&A time uh, with Justin. Father, you've so graciously given us a story of the journey of Israel, and we find ourselves in their story. We, too, in our flesh, are wayward. We ask you to forgive us. The very thing I want to do, I don't do, and the very thing I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched man that I am, and we are. So would you please forgive us for those times that we sin against you in thought, word, or deed? And that we go beyond the commandments or don't even live up to the commandments that you've given us. Thank you for being merciful and gracious to us. So loving, so kind to woo us, to allure us, to sing a song to us, to whisper to us, to bring us back to you. You are so far above and beyond all that we can think or imagine. And for that, we thank you that you would reduce yourself to human flesh, that we may see you and know you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, can we give it up for Matt, please? All right, so like he said, I thought it would be super cool to pick his brain and and kind of just ask some questions in light of soul care and just the process of transformation as a whole. What that looks like, how do we get there? Just He has a unique perspective, you know, with the line of work that he's in. So um, here we go. So in your experience as a professional counselor, what would you say is the biggest roadblock for people to deeply accept the healing and the freedom that Christ offers and why? Or maybe to word it another way would be this. What do you think are the biggest reasons so few Christians seem to be living the abundant life that Christ offers? Yeah, so I I was able to get these questions beforehand. Uh, I can't give you just one, but I'll give you a couple, two or three. Uh, I believe shame. It's the very thing that Adam and Eve experienced when they sinned against God and they rebelled uh, early on. And, And shame is the very thing. And what is shame? If you see me, if you know me, you'll reject me. You will not love me. You will not like me. And so shame, I think, is the emotion that we experience that keeps us 
um, from God's work of grace. Um, from a different angle, it's my goodness. I, I'm still convinced that I'm good, and there's something within me that I can do apart from Christ to fix my situation. And therefore, I don't need the gospel. And um, so there's that self-effort. Um, and so the problem with looking within is that I sin. I have sinned. And therefore, I, I look to Christ, I look to the cross, and I look to the gospel of grace and the shed blood of Jesus to cover those sins. And uh, a, a third one is it's just hard work. It's really hard in our busy lives to slow down, to be still, and sit in the presence of Christ and allow his spirit to speak to us. And it's like a raft skipping across the water. If I just go fast enough, I'll keep bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. The problem is when I slow down, I get below the surface. I really get into some good stuff, and it's scary. And it's hard work to find out what's going on. Ooh, I love that rock illustration. Yes. You come up with that? I don't know. Wow. <laughs> you, better, you better copyright that one. That's good. Okay, good. Moving on. Got a few more here. So kind of like I said, in your line of work, hurting people seek you out every day. The phone calls you get, marriages blowing up, yeah. suffering the death of a child, whatever, extreme stuff. As you look back, I love this, as you look back at all the counseling you've done, are there some common desires or some common themes that you've noticed that seem to separate people that just want a quick fix and those people that really want to dive into their healing, pursue Christ, and then want to see other people flourish? There's some things you've noticed that maybe separate those different kinds of people that contact you? Yeah, uh, quick fix people. Uh, just tell me what to do. So when, if you would think through fruit versus root, and especially for parents, if you're shepherding the hearts of your kids, it's really easy to focus on fruit behavior versus root issues. And so quick fix people, just tell me what to do so that the fruit behaviors will be different. I, I want my 15-year-old son to respect me. Um, I want my wife not to nag me. Uh, I don't want my husband to blow up in anger. So what's the quick fix? And that, those are kind of fruit-oriented people. Um, root people are curious people. They slow down and they're curious about, ooh, I don't like what I'm seeing as far as what you're saying or what you're doing, your behaviors and your choices. But I wonder what's going on below the surface in your heart. So what's the root at it? So there's a lot of curiosity of asking the questions of, um, well, uh, what is God up to in my life? What is it I'm trying to do right now? Or what am I attempting to get right now in this moment? How am I or how are you hiding from God in our marriage? How are you hiding from yourself? right now? Would you be interested in some feedback of what it's like for me to experience you right now and what's going on between us? Um, what emotions are you experiencing or what emotions are you trying to avoid right now? Those kind of curiosity questions uh, allow me to go 
below the surface, deep into the roots of our heart. And, and with the presence of the Holy Spirit, his guidance, and, and of course, the Holy Spirit, he always sheds light. And so we can trust him to do those things when we slow down and we're, we're curious in the presence of God with somebody else. Man, that's beautiful. That's perfectly in line with, if you've been here the past couple of weeks, just talking about we have to operate from a spirit of curiosity. Everything mm-hmm. stems from a spirit of curiosity and searching our own soul with God, but in, yeah. in others as well. Good. All right. This is kind of a deep, uh, heavy question, if you will. So um, what would you say to anyone listening right now that is fighting a battle alone? Perhaps an addiction that has a strong grip on their life or they're carrying around immense shame from their past or trying to deal with just severe trauma that they've endured. What encouragement would you give to someone that just feels like they're alone right now and they're just not sure how to change or how to move forward? Well, I would acknowledge that what they're going through is real. So I'm, I, I see that you... Uh, are suffering in your heart right now. Um, I would want them to know that you are loved by Jesus and that the raging fury love of Christ is never deterred by your sin. The raging fury of the love of God is never squashed by the depth or darkness of your sin. Um, If you were to ask a mom who has a four-year-old who's acting out, do you love that child? It's like, I don't like that child right now, but yes, I love that child. There's nothing that child could ever do that would make me not love him or her. Um, Spouses will often say, (laughs) I love you. I don't like you right now, um, but I do love you. And so in the murky mire of what's going on, I want you to know that I love you. So if somebody's struggling, I want them to know that they're deeply loved. I would also say this, being alone, and please hear this from the best part of my heart to you, being alone is a choice. It's a defense mechanism or life strategy that you're using right now, and your aloneness is a choice. Um, (laughs) and here's the big lie from the pit of hell I'm the only one going through this there's nobody here in the church experiencing what I'm experiencing there's nobody in my small group that knows what I'm going through nobody else has experienced this and friends um, there's only so many major categories of sin And sins run like packs of wild dogs. When you see one, there's four or five or six other ones there, right? When we go to confess sin, it's never just one. (laughs) There's always four or five or six that go with my choice of sin. So uh, my being alone is a choice. And that's where faith, leaning into the fray, leaning into the unknown, is going to take faith to share that with somebody. Whether it's a small group leader or a trusted friend, a pastor, ministry leader, uh, leadership team, elder, um, whatever it might be, that's you stepping out in faith and choosing to be seen and known rather than hiding and being alone. 
All right, one last question, then I'll leave you alone. So what are some practical, tangible things that you would say we can do to better care for others and engage in soul care with them? What advice would you give the church on how to grow in our willingness and desire to connect deeply with people in a transformative way that makes us more like Jesus? Yeah, uh, very simple. Uh, practice, practice, practice. Um, start with intent. I have never experienced what you're going through. My intent, though, is to be with you, and I'm not quite sure how to love you or to move towards you, um, but I'm here. Can we talk more? Um, so start with your intent and let people know that. And so practice being present and moving towards people. Um, uh, start with yourself in, in that, uh, like I just said, I, I'm not, I, I haven't experienced this or I have experienced this, but this isn't about me. And so I want to be present with you. Where would you like to start as, if we were to continue on sharing and you were to share more with me? Because I'm all ears and I'm all in. And I'm, I'm willing to do my best to love you right where you're at. So that's how we practice, practice, practice. Um, while doing that, though, um, be mindful of vertical and horizontal. You're horizontally in relationship with that person, but you need to be curious about vertically, what is God up to in this situation? And how can I love this person? And how can I sit with them? Because I'm going, remember, I'm going to whisper them truth, which is the gospel truth, the love of Christ. I'm going to lure, I'm gonna, God's going to use me to lure them out of their, their valley of trouble, their valley of achor. And um, so I need to be vertically in touch with the Holy Spirit, with Christ, about what is needed in this moment. And so it's, it's as much as a walk of faith for me as it is for that person. It's the scariest thing to sit down with somebody with no agenda and say, I'm being going to be present. I want to love you. And let's see where we go. I'm not the expert. We're both kind of meandering together. And that's terrifying. I'm not sure where that conversation is going to go. Sit with someone with no agenda. Ooh, that's a sermon series. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Thank you. Actually, you set up next week's sermon, which is all, which is that was great. Which is all about yeah, gaining being attentive to you know kind of what's God doing in this person's life in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the pain. Like, what's he up to? How can I come alongside that? So, fantastic. Thank you, man. Hey, can we give Matt a round of applause? <laughs> I know he hates the attention. Thank you so much, man. For being here with us and You're just welcome. for sharing your heart and just from such a unique perspective that you kind of come to us with. So I'm going to pray for us um, and give the band a few minutes to go ahead and get situated and then we will uh, close out with our final song. So let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you so much for just your heart towards us and just your pursuit, your intent to chase us down. And to kind of like he said, allure us, God. Lord, help us to say yes to you. To say yes to you in our good moments and in our moments where shame is trying to destroy our soul. God, like, you know, like he shared, help us to choose to not be alone. 
That's what this soul care cannot happen in isolation, in aloneness, God. We make the choice to be known by you by being known by others. And that is how we live out vulnerability. And God, that can be so terrifying, Lord. So God, we pray that we would do that personally and that we would just be attentive, God, when we are in just conversations that can be awkward and just really heavy, that we'd be attentive to what you're doing in the life of the person sitting across from us, but also just in tune with the things that are triggering up in our own souls, the insecurities or the fears or this felt need that we got to perform or be wise. God, like you said, help us to put those things aside so we can practice the ministry of presence to people sitting across from us, Lord. So we love you, God. We thank you that you are the perfect model and example of someone that lives with a spirit of curiosity, that pursues, that is intentional, and that listens with God with no agenda to change right there. You know the process that that is, God. And so help us to be patient and humble and gracious with people as we speak your words and just your gospel truth to them, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with us.